Welcome to the Gary and Stein Sports Show. Joined by my co-host, Will Stein. I'm Troy Gary. Our podcasts are available at Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and Amazon. Also, you can catch us on the Sideline Sports Network. On today's show, we're joined by former outfielder for the Milwaukee Brewers. He also played for the Philadelphia Phillies organization, the Texas Rangers, Jim Rushford. Jim, thanks for joining us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. All right, Will, uh, I'll let you start out with the first question for Jim there. So you're from the Chicago area. You grew up in Chicago. They're a baseball town. Once some side is Cubs, some side is White Sox. Who did you grow up cheering for growing up in Chicago? I was definitely a Cubs fan. I was a North Sider, grew up in Park Ridge on the Northwest side. Uh, typically, uh, the North Siders are Cubs fans and South Siders are Sox fans. You get a few. Uh, crossovers here and there for different reasons but uh i i had cubs everything and you know my dad used to take me to the wrigley field and see cubs games i maybe only caught a couple white Sox games over the years all right um you're a pretty good high school baseball player apparently and uh so san diego state how did you decide on them or did you just uh like you visit them and went out there and just you know fell in love with the program or i mean they produced a lot of major league uh, players on like yourself uh tony gwynn mark grace steven strasberg just a few there so how did that uh happen and how did you pick uh, san diego state so i mean that's kind of a crazy story and a lot of it's due to I, you know i was totally naive i didn't know what i was doing i was a good baseball player uh illinois state wanted me bad they were offering me a full ride everything I had Notre Dame given offering me a partial uh I really just wanted to get out of the cold weather and play <laughs> you know play somewhere where the weather was more conducive to baseball and uh you know you, you look at the top ranked teams and like, like I think you know all the kids you know they all want to go D1 they all want to play for you know number one team and all this and I wasn't any different. So I, uh, you know, wrote letters to all the top schools. And uh, the one thing advantage I had, because, you know, this, were, this is 1991, 90, 91, uh, you know, my, my dad had a camcorder. So he had a lot of video of me. Uh, so I was able to send that to a highlight tape to all the schools, which is, you know, that's an everyday thing now, but back then, that gave me a huge advantage and you know some of them responded uh but it, what all ultimately was was it was like a baseball america and they just listed uh all the guys that got drafted out of san diego state i'm like well, san diego sounds really nice and uh you know that's what i'm going for i'm hoping to get drafted by a major league team someday so uh, i think you know i sent one out to coach deets coach jim deets over there he was the coach before tony gwynn uh, he, he recently passed away. Uh, and, you know, he invited me out and he said, he said, you know, like, you know, I think you can play here. You know, we didn't get to see you a lot, but, uh, you know, we have a JV team too. So, you know, my dad kind of figured, well, worst case scenario, you'll, you'll at least be, you won't waste a year. You'll play on the JV team or something like that. So I turned down the scholarships to Illinois State and Notre Dame and I just, I walked on to San Diego State. Uh, and I made it and I played a little my freshman year, but, you know, I would never, 
you know, I coach kids now and I would never advise any of them to do that. It was, it was just, I just did what I, you know, what I wanted to do. And I had no idea about, you know, how foolish I was being, <laughs> but I was excited for it. So that, I guess that's maybe the big thing. Now, what would you advise a kid to do now in this day and age, going through the college recruiting process and Pope, knowing your story that it took you longer to get in the pros, how would you advise kids that want to continue their baseball after high school? Right. So that's what I'm doing a lot of now because my son just graduated high school. So I went through it with him, but I coach. So I, I help all sorts of kids. Uh, the, the biggest thing everyone needs to know is you got to go where you're wanted. So, you know, by that, I would have told myself as an 18 year old go to Illinois State they want to make you the centerpiece of their program they're offering you everything they want you you know because you're gonna get the most opportunities there you know they're they're gonna take good care of you there because that's where you want and that's what I advise uh kids but the other thing is uh this is a hard one you got to be realistic about your ability like everyone wants to go D1 but not everybody's a D1 talent so you really got to find a level that matches your talent uh I think the way I would sum it up is you just want you want to be the biggest fish in the biggest pond you can possibly be in but you you don't want to be a small fish in a you know in a huge pond you want to go somewhere where you're going to get the playing time you're going to stand out and you could advance to the next level but, you know, if you just kind of aren't realistic with yourself and go, I'm a D1 guy, I'm just, you know, you know, you might end up just wasting two years sitting on the bench before you're whatever, show up to a school and get cut or that kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, you got to be good, um, estimate your ability accurately. You uh, definitely got to. You got to go find them. They're not going to find you. There's too many kids playing all over the country. Uh, you got to uh, contact those coaches and say, you know, I want I want to play for your school, and you should have highlights and stats and metrics and all that prepared. And uh, then you know, out of that list of schools, you know, the one the ones that are really interested in you, those are the ones you got you should choose from. Uh, and then there's practical things like you know finances and stuff like like I had a partial to Notre Dame but I don't know that I could have covered the, the rest of that <laughs> tuition so you know you don't want to get in the mountain of debt either so that that's that always factors in too okay kind of following up on that um like you said your son uh, pretty highly rated uh, player I've seen some highlights so um how do you advise kids in general uh, the decision whether to, when, if they get drafted, say mid-round, um, to either skip college or sign that contract? Yeah. Well, like, I didn't go through it because I was not a prospect out of high school and I didn't get drafted out of college and I went, you know, played independent ball. So that was a whole different, you know, that was kind of coming in the back way, but I think what, what's changed over the years is it used to be like they would draft. So they got up to like the you know, hundred something round 
and they'd offer a kid, you know, five grand or something. And, you know, whereas the kid probably has like a scholarship to some college or something like, and you, you might as well get that scholarship, play ball a few years, get your education. And then if, if you develop into, you know, a good player, uh, you know, you'll get drafted again probably, but it's totally different now. They, they cut the minor leagues by 33%. It only goes to 20 rounds in the draft. So getting in and getting a chance is super hard. And then in addition to that, you know, the minor league pay has always been terrible, but they bumped it up a little bit. They're, they're paying for housing now. And basically if you sign, if you get drafted and sign uh, your college tuition, you know, is guaranteed and paid for. So now it's really attractive to sign. And I, you know, I think you're taking, it's taking a big risk to not sign and uh, hope they're going to come around to you, you know, in three years when you're a junior at a D1 or get you out of JUCO. I, I just think it's too hard to get in to pass it up. Um, so I, I know every, you know, every, every person's situation is a little different, but uh, you know, where I sit, I'd be like, <laughs> I mean, my son is, uh, you know, he has a few teams looking at him and he could get drafted. And, you know, if he does, I mean, I'm going to be encouraging him to <laughs> take it. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Will. So with all speaking of scholarships, contracts, money, and all that good stuff, you're probably familiar with the NIL process and what's that, what that's doing for college athletes, high school athletes. Do you think NIL will be something that's talked about in baseball like it is in football right now? Or how do you see NIL impacting baseball in the draft in the future? So... Definitely not an expert on it. I did look some of that stuff up because I had to educate myself to see what my son's options might be. Uh, you know, I saw that it's not a, much of a factor with baseball at this point. Uh, I think, you know, about the most it really amounts to is, you know, getting like free equipment and, you know, just little, little I think they estimate like a few thousand dollars or something like that. And that's only if you're going to one of the big schools that have one of those contracts and, you know, basketball and football, totally different animals. Uh, now somehow they get creative and they can make it be something with baseball. But like, I think as we sit here right now, it's, it's not really like anything that would change, you know, a decision between, you know, college and pro um it just it just it's sort of like a trivial amount um but it is nice that you know especially you know in the major sports that do earn however you know hundreds of millions of dollars for the ncaa and the schools and stuff like that that the players are getting something and you know i imagine uh i i know i, I think maybe you know as far as nil and uh, baseball i think the biggest effect it's going to have right away is uh the schools that can get those deals are going to be able to attract more of the better players. And I think it might make the competitive balance a lot more lopsided because, you know, because they're 
the ones who got the, the deals are going to score all the big players and the other ones are going to get left in the dust. And that's probably the only thing I can see that seems really clear about it right now as far as baseball. All right. Uh, next question I have for you, uh, for those that don't know, of course, I know your story, but talk about how uh, watching WGN kind of uh, restarted your career and how that uh, all went down. Yeah, so like I, I played four years at San Diego State. I wasn't drafted. Uh, I did try independent ball a couple times, a couple false starts, we'll call them maybe. You know, I didn't. And, uh, you know, I just I was getting older and I married and I was like, you know, I got to get on my life, start a career. You know, so I started working, you know, but I was delivering pizzas. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't in a career. Let's put it that way. You know, I was just making some money to pay the bills. And, uh, WGN being a superstation, I, mean, I lived in San Diego, once I went to San Diego State, and it was, on, I just, it was just, the TV was on WGN, and there was a you know, sports segment came on, it was Dan Roan, the sportscaster, and he had Ron Kittle in the batting cages, and they were pumping up the new a Northern League team, the Schaumburg Flyers, and I, I knew the Northern League had a great reputation, uh, it's being you know, top, top independent league and players got picked up out of there. And I grew up in Chicago and I'm like, well, this team is right where I grew up. So this would be awesome for me. And, uh, you know, I just kind of side thinking, <laughs> I wish I could do that, but, you know, it's kind of like that, that horse has left the barn, you know, and my, you know, my wife saw me and my reaction to it. And she went into the other room and, uh, you know, did a little internet search and found Schaumburg Flyers and found out, hey, they're having a tryout next week in Chicago. And, you know, you should go. And I'm like, oh, awesome. I mean, like, I was just like, <laughs> she really supports this? Awesome. You know, I'm like, well, I'm going to, yeah, definitely want to do it. And then the next thing was I had to call my mom and say, hey, can you, can you buy me a plane ticket a week out to Chicago? <laughs> you know, because I, I didn't have that kind of cash. And uh, so I, I flew out and I used my sister's cards. My sister, you know, she still lives in Chicago. And uh, I went to this trial and I, I did really well, but it was like one of those big cattle calls, like 200 people, you know, you get people showing up in gym shoes and no hat and, and you know, cut, cut off jeans or something, you know. And then they set, you know, they took me and, a, you know, maybe a couple other, the better players. And we got into the smaller mix of Schaumburg, flyers you know like spring training I guess you could call it and uh I just battled I had to compete and I I played a bunch of people and you know bumped a few people and made the team and uh that was 99 and I played you know about halfway through the year and I had a season-ending injury and they sent me home and uh I was really just I separated my shoulder running an outfield wall and I, I but I was starting to do really good like as I was playing every day and things were clicking for me and just everything was gelling I was like I can be a pretty good player but I, I felt like I was cut short and uh, I'm like if I don't go back I'll never this is going to be it it's going to be over and I, I felt like no I didn't get, get, get my one chance I wanted you know I was only halfway through so I kept calling them every day I'm like can you guys bring me back you guys bring me back and they're finally like then, you know, I bugged them enough that they're finally like, well, if you can get a doctor's release, you know, we'll bring you back. And I, I did. My, my shoulder was still only like halfway healed and 
like I couldn't release my uh, top hand when I swung. I had to keep two hands in the back because my right shoulder would have just went with it. And uh, they brought me back and I, you know, hit another home run at the end and finished the season. And uh, I'm like, that was awesome. I got to do this again, you know. So I, I started training really hard all off season for the next year, thinking I'm going to go back to Schaumburg and you know, that's going to be my year. And, uh, you know, so I worked my butt off all off season and then come like, you know, February, March, Ron Kittle calls me up and he's like, well, I want to be the one to tell you, but uh, and I had nothing to do with this, but you've been traded to Duluth. And I'm like, Duluth? <laughs> All I remember about Duluth from the time we went there was it was the coldest place I had ever been in my life. It was, <laughs> we had a freezing series there. And, uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago, so th this was not great news at first, you know. Uh, and I, I was traded for a, a shortstop that batted 220. And uh, as it turned out, that shortstop never actually showed up. He just decided to quit. So they basically <laughs> gave me away. <laughs> and uh, but I'm like, man, I worked my butt off and I'm on Duluth and I'm, I, I want my chance. So I went and, it, you know, long, long story short, which I'm sure we'll get into, I mean, it turned out to be a phenomenal experience for me and one that got me to the next step, which was into the Milwaukee Brewers organization. Yeah, before we talk about that 2000 uh, season, uh, you were rookie of the year in the Northern League that year. Uh, Anthony uh, Big Papa, as they called him, Lewis, was uh, international, uh, or excuse me, independent league uh, player of the year. What do you most remember about that year? Um, and uh, like, give me uh, what you're, uh, like I said, you, you talked a little bit about Duluth, but how was that uh, city, and how did you uh, did you enjoy uh, your your short time here? Well, I loved it. I mean, at first I'm just like I'm here to play baseball, and this is where I got to be and what I got to do to do it. But uh, you know, Anthony, Big Papa, Lewis, and you know Tony Mitchell, they're veteran players, and they just really uh, showed me the ropes, took me under their wing. They're you know they were my mentors, you know. And they really like helped me mature as a player and just understand what, you know, being a minor league, being a professional baseball player is all about. And uh, as a team, you know, we really were the tight knit bunch and uh, we really, we gelled together and, you know, we ultimately ended up winning the championship for the, you know, our, the North division. And uh, like, you know, the clubby JT telling, let me stay at his house for a pretty small, small rent. And so, you know, that made it affordable. And like, uh, you know, Gary and George Stavernos did a great job, you know, like uh, making deals with local businesses. We got, we got a free meal at the hometown buffet every day, which absolutely loved. I mean, go, go in there and just, Crush chicken wings and they have this raisin bread pudding that I love. But I mean, like you know, you're working out, you're playing ball, you need to you need good nourishment, and you know, we're not making much money, so that that meal was huge. And then there was a deal at you know downtown at the at the gym, don't remember the name, but and I was in there you know every day. I, I went and worked out, so it's like I got a super cheap place to stay, a few blocks from the field. I got a 
awesome free meal every day. I got a gym to work out at, and you know, I got a great team to play on. I mean, so it was perfect. You know, like couldn't ask for anything more. That's all you want as a baseball player. That's all you want is a situation where you can excel and be at your best. And that and that turned out to be it. You know. Yeah. And you know, I gotta say, and and great fans too. You know, loyal diehard fans that came out and supported the team night after night. Uh, I mean, that was huge too. That made it a great place to play. And I, you know, that was the old Wade Stadium. I've seen pictures of the new one. Yeah. But the old one was pretty cool. Had a lot of character. Yeah. Talk about uh, the, you know, the grind of a major league baseball season for those that don't know the bus rides, like you said, the, the trying to find housing. Um, you know, a lot of that time back then, like when you played, uh, they would be uh, sponsors, people that would let you stay there. Uh, you kind of briefly mentioned about now how Major League Baseball has kind of stepped up and provided housing. But uh, just talk about that uh, sort of atmosphere of uh, the daily grind of, uh, you know, being a minor leaguer. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's hard work and it will test you in different ways. I mean, Going, getting through a minor league season, well, you'll really find out who you are because there's going to be moments when, you know, you got to reach down at your lowest point, like, and, and you got to figure out, you know, how you're going to get yourself out of it. Uh, but it's physically, mentally, um, for starters, you know, you might, I spent a lot of time away from my wife. Uh, so you got to move, you know, go far away and leave everybody and you're on your own. And, uh, you know, you don't really necessarily, you don't have anyone supporting you. And if it's, maybe you're not doing all that well, you can, you know, you can hit some pretty low points. Uh, you, you have to find your own place to live and that all comes out of your paycheck and, you know, independent ball, you know, really low salaries because independent teams are, you know, standalone businesses that need to turn a profit. Uh, minors with affiliated baseball, not much better but that was, they have the ability to pay more. They just didn't want to, you know, because until they got a lot of pressure put on them for it. But, uh, you know, if you're only making like a thousand a month, I mean, my first year I played in the boys County in 96, I made uh, $500 a month. And I think in Duluth, I think Schaumburg was 750 and Duluth was 900. And then uh, with the Brewers and High Desert, I think I think I made like a thousand or something like that. But but then you gotta go rent a place <laughs> and you gotta rent furniture, you know, like there and uh, everything's out of your own pocket. So that money goes super fast. Uh, so you really don't, uh, it doesn't, what you get paid doesn't cover what it's costing you to do it. Like you need help for sure or something like some guys are lucky lucky enough like maybe they learn how to be a you know, welding or something like that and they can go make a bunch of money in the off season i mean that's the way to go but if you don't have that and you're gonna be scraping by or running up the credit card or something um but uh like if you're in the affiliated minors i mean even an independent you could get traded and the minors you can get traded you can get moved up or down a level and they just tell you and you got to pack all your stuff up and, you know, catch the plane in the morning and be in the next city. And 
you know, you got to somehow figure out how you're closing up on one apartment and then finding a new place to live in the next place. Um, so it's kind of, I mean, it's, it can be a rough life. And then physically, uh, night in, you know, playing night innings every, every night and, you know, at high, you know, high, high competition level and, uh, uh, you know, stress level too, a little bit too, because you're like my whole career and everything I ever wanted in life depends on how I perform out here. So, I mean, you're, you're using a lot of mental and physical energy. Um, if you're not doing well, the fans will be the first to let you know. So you got that. And then uh, the bus rides, geez, I mean, you know, the minor leagues, are, they can be horrendous. I mean, so you might play a six game homestand and then on that last night, could be a you know a hard fought battle, but you guys maybe lose and everyone's down in the dumps. But you just got to pack all you got to pack all your stuff. You already have your suitcase at the park, and everyone's piling in a you know a bus, and they might drive you know six, eight, ten, some twelve hours all night long to the next city, and you got to find a comfortable you know way to sleep on the on the bus, and uh, you don't you might not get there till the next morning when the sun's already up and then you'll get into a hotel and you might catch a few hours of sleep and a lunch and then you're right to the ballpark and you gotta perform again. And the, it, that goes on for, depending on you know what league you're in, but you know, that can go on for four or five, six months. And that, and, you know, that takes its toll on you for sure. It can wear you out. And, uh, but you just remind yourself every day, like this, you know, where you want to get to and what you try to do. And, you know, you can't let being tired or being upset about what happened the night before or being, a, you know, homesick. You can't let that affect your playing. You know, you just got to, and that's the grind, you know, you, you got to play hurt because you're not, nobody, nobody's, you know, taking you anywhere. If you, if you have an injury, you got to be out there performing and putting up numbers. So, but, but that's the fun of it too, because it's, it's a massive challenge, you know, so, you know, if you, you just battle and see how far you can get. All right, sweet. Um, so after that season, the Milwaukee Brewers called, uh, can you explain or uh, tell us what you remember about getting that phone call? Yeah, I mean, like, I played in 96 for a team and it was a first year manager. And he eventually moved on into the Brewers organization. He was following my career and he saw what I was doing in Duluth. And he, and he, you know, he, I made a good impression on him. And he, he's like, well, this is the kind of guy, we're cleaning house, we're starting over here in Milwaukee. And uh, this kind of guy we want to have to, you know, set a good example for our younger kids, because now I'm an older guy. And uh, I'm like, great, but I had a lot of like, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. It never does, kind of thing. So I didn't really want to get too excited. And uh, then the uh, Greg, that was uh, R.C. Lichtenstein, uh, who's now he's in the Double Rays organization. He's been at the Double A like Montgomery Biscuits for years now. Uh, and then uh, Greg Riddock, who's the minor league direct, farm director for the Brewers, called me up, and I'm like, okay. Now I know this is this is serious. This isn't just someone blowing smoke, you know. And uh, they they sent me a contract, and uh, I you know I signed it. I sent it back, and I still didn't want to tell anyone or get excited because I just didn't 
I, like there's something, there's gonna be a catch to all this. This isn't really happening. And, and it wasn't until like I saw in my, you know, the minor league transactions, like Jim Rushford signed with Milwaukee Brewers, you know, such and such a day that I'm like, okay, it's real, you know, and that, that, but I didn't even like want to celebrate till I saw it in writing, you know, because I had just had so many disappointments along the way. Um, but man, I, I just, there's nothing more exciting for me because for me, that was the hardest step of the entire journey was just getting a major league organization to give me a chance. And that it happened is like, you know, it's almost like winning the lottery really because I mean, tons of guys do great, but still never get a chance. It's, you know, I mean, independent leagues are awesome because they give guys that opportunity to maybe get it, but there's no guarantees, you know. And so if you're, if you're one of those lucky ones, you know, that's a big deal. And you know, I just, I made the most of it because I knew, you know, how lucky I was to be there. And I'd already experienced what it was like to not have baseball and not be in baseball. And basically have that dream was, had been dead a couple of times before. And now all of a sudden it's alive again. Like it came back to, and it's like, so, I mean, I, I like, I didn't, definitely did not take that for granted. All right. Well, I'm going to give you a date and I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about, but September 3rd, 2002, your major league debut. Uh, how surreal was that number one for you to be uh, called up like that and then make uh, your debut in Chicago. And then just talk about how you got that call and uh, how you were informed of uh, making the big leagues. Well, that's a weird story too. My manager called me in. There's a few games left in the season. He's like, "Look, you're you're gonna get called up in a, you know a few days, but you need to make sure you know, you have some nice clothes and stuff." Because, like, he wanted to tell me in advance because he wanted to make sure I went out shopping, so I bought clothes that was worthy of a major league player. You know, because all I had was ratty stuff and you know, stuff that had a friend had given to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and then that game that night or the next night, you know, I'm rounding third and I feel my groin pull. Just a little tiny pull, but it pulled. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I sit there like, do I tell him, do I not? Like it was a dilemma, but I was like, if I could just have a couple of days off, it'll be okay because it's very minor so I told him and he just picks up the phone and he's calling Milwaukee like uh yeah he pulled his groin and I just thought I completely blew my one chance right there and I was fortunate enough that they just the trainer worked with me every day and they work you know they work with me and they just like okay if you can get back out, you know, we'll give you a couple of days to get therapy and stuff. And if you can get back out there and show you're healthy, then you'll go up. So now it's like a panic. So anyway, the last day of the season, which I guess would have been, you know, September 2nd, the last game in Louisville, I was on Indianapolis, which was a Brewers AAA. And we finished on the road in Louisville. Had uh, all my belongings, packed in the minivan. Uh, my wife was there and my first uh, child, my daughter Kelly was a baby. 
and you know, we had the minivan just packed to the ceiling, like every inch square inch of it's filled up. And I played a game, I go one for three. And uh, it's like the sixth, seventh inning and the coach takes me out and gets on the phone in the dugout and he's like, yep, he was one for three, he's good. And he's like, okay, okay. Hangs up, he's like, all right, go meet the team in Chicago. And uh, I just took a shower, grabbed all my stuff and I, I ran out of clubhouse and into the minivan where my wife was waiting I'm like just go to Chicago right away before they change their minds I'm like <laughs> just step on it and we we got to Chicago that night and the next day uh I'm at Wrigley Field and uh yeah to to go to grow up a Cubs fan to go to games and I mean you know like when you're screwing around in the park and imagining yourself doing all these great baseball things like every kid that plays baseball does I mean I, I'm doing them all at Wrigley Field you know that's that was my dream and uh you know just being on that field was awesome I stepped out for the first time and Sammy Sosa you know looks at me and he walks over and he introduces himself and you know I, Sammy Sosa Jim Rusher I'm nice to meet you and he's like he's like the pleasure is mine <laughs> like as if I was a superstar and he was that young kid, you know, like it, it was, it was awesome. Um, I think I had like unknowingly dozens of people I grew up with were at the game. It was a Friday night game at Wrigley Field, so they, you know, people got pictures and all that stuff. It was just an awesome experience, it just especially for that first one to be at Wrigley. And you know, it wouldn't have been had I not had that little groin thing. I was supposed to start it in Cincinnati, Synergy. Field, uh, I don't know what they call it now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not like super up on all my sports, but um, I was supposed to start in Cincinnati, but it ended up being Wrigley. And I'm like, well, I think it's it just meant to be this way. Awesome. So, do you still have your first major league hit baseball, or did, did you get it? I do. They got. It took me twelve at bats to get it, but <laughs> it finally happened, and uh, they got the ball for me. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I hit a home run in Arizona, and they got that ball for me, too. Awesome. Yeah. So you got uh, – did the team go uh, seek it out, or did uh, did you um, – or did, the, did Arizona kind of know uh, okay, to send so somebody over? I, it was – I think – I want to say it was a tie game, but it was, you know, like fifth inning or so. And I had a long at bat. Rick Helling was pitching. And I was like, you know, I fouled off six, seven pitches. And finally, like, he hung a curve. And I, I dropped the head on it, pulled it right down the right field line. And I knew I got it, but I didn't know if it was going to stay fair. And so as I'm running around first base, it hits the foul pole. And then Ricochet is in the uh, bullpen. And that's the Brewers bullpen. So they, they all got it for me. Oh, but you know, I saw that I saw the umpire, you know, do this. It was like, you know, like the 5,000 pound weight just came off my shoulders. And I just floated around the base. Because <laughs> I'm like, I knew, I'm like, that's the one thing I always wanted to do is just hit a home run in the major leagues. Like, and I'm like, no matter what, there's gonna be a one in that in that record book and the, the stats and nobody can take that, that one home run away. You know? So it was just, 
for me, that was like my biggest moment in baseball. You know, if I have to pick like one singular moment. Awesome. I got one more question for you, Jim, but uh, Will, do you got anything else before I ask? Um, so if you could change anything about your baseball journey, what would it be and why? Yeah, I, I could probably make a pretty long list. I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, passing up Illinois State might have been a mistake. Um, not understanding the benefits of the weight room and what it you know, can do to help you play at a younger age was one. Um, I was sent to an independent ball team out of college and I just I thought, well, what's this league? I don't know. My career's over. And I, and I quit the team. And I just went and started working. So I, I you know, I've, I quit a few things. I might have burned a bridge or two, um, I think. But that's how I learned that this is, you know, I learned from those mistakes. And that's why when I come back in 99, now I know all the things I did wrong. And I'm like, I'm not going to do any of those things wrong this time. And I'm going to do everything the way I should have done it the first time. And that's why things you know, came together for me. And I was fortunate because of, I was getting up there in years, but you know, that's why the independent league's awesome because you know, you get, it's a second chance. Um, I think the biggest thing though, like once I got farther along was uh, confidence. Like I, oh, I always felt because I had been passed up so many times along the way that I didn't know if I belonged with the best players, you know? So when I got on the field with Sammy Sosa and Albert Pujols and uh, Richie Sex and, you know, all these guys, I, I was pretty intimidated. And I think that was a mistake. I mean, you got to really get comfortable in your own skin and feel like you belong. And, uh, you know, prior to that, you know, on the way up, what worked for me was I had a chip on my shoulder and I was a guy who had nothing to lose. So that, that uh, perspective, that mindset worked really well for me. But then once they put me in the major leagues, I'm like, well, now who am I angry at? They put me, they gave me everything. And uh, my whole uh, perspective that was working for me has now got flipped on me. And now I got to figure out, okay, now you, instead of having nothing to lose, and being angry because you didn't get, you know, this and that. Now they gave you everything and you got everything to lose. And that was that was a whole just different perspective for me that sort of threw me for a loop, you know. Uh, and I, I wish I handled that better, but I just never thought about it because I was just so used to being the outsider trying to fight my way in. I, then once I got there, I wasn't really sure what to do because it just didn't fit the script that I, you know, had running in my head. All right. Uh, one last thing here. And uh, your story is about never quitting. And I, I just love it. Uh, how can what I guess what can you say for people, not only in sports, but uh, where they they have a goal and they want to achieve something about how to keep preserving, preserving, excuse me, perseverance and uh, and just kind of fighting through all that, uh, because uh, in the end, like you, it paid off. Yeah, I, I think never underestimate the value of showing up every day 
and putting in your best effort because you know when I coach kids now they, they want instant gratification the one time they do something they want something and it's like no you have to like just keep plugging away plugging away plugging away but you have to trust the process and know and understand if you keep doing that you are going to get really far because I mean like half the battle is just you know, showing up, showing up on time, just doing all the right things, like the things that are totally in your control that don't even require talent. They just require, you know, effort and preparation. And if you do those things, you're going to get really far and you're going to pass a whole bunch of people that had way more talent than you, for sure, just by, just by consistent everyday effort. Uh, you want to also, um, work smart not just hard but work smart so you, you should have a mapped out plan with short-term and long-term goals and and the you know process you're following with you know, checkpoints along the way because the other thing is like you know i just that was a mistake i made early on i was a hard worker but i wasn't focusing all my efforts in any one direction i was doing a lot of work it wasn't until I got systematic about everything, my weight training and my hitting and like, you know, running 60s and all these things with, you know, measurement goals and that everything started coming together for me. So, I mean, and the thing is, and in the end, even if you don't get as far as you want, you're going to feel good about yourself and, and you know, you're going to be a lot happier with yourself and have gotten a lot farther than if, you get discouraged right away, you know, because you don't want to have to live with regrets, you know, and, you know, that's why I was fortunate because I got that little brief period where I had regrets. So I already knew what it would be like to give up, you know, so that's why I never did after that, but I was fortunate enough to get that second chance. But, you know, if I could save people the time and just say, just don't ever give up in the first place. I mean, like, I mean, I always think of, you know, the Babe Ruth thing, like, you know, you can't, you can't be the person who never quits. And that's really maybe one of the best, you know, one-liners ever. All right. Well, Jim, we really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, check out uh, this on Spotify, Apple, uh, wherever your local favorite streaming service. And, uh, Will, thanks, uh, thanks for having us. Uh, uh, you got anything else for uh, a goodbye for Jim here? Um, so I guess being a Cubs fan, what do you remember about Harry Carey the most? <laughs> Harry Carey is classic. Uh, that he would drink the Budweiser's and just line them up in front of him, and by the seventh inning, <laughs> slurring his words, <laughs> Steve Stone would would have to kind of take over for him. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, the guy was like Chicago all the way, you know. I mean, that's I mean, I think the Cubs have a saying, uh, win or lose, we still booze. You know, that <laughs> was Harry Carey. <laughs> I mean, like, there's like my memory in my childhood is the TV's on, WGN, you can, and the Cubs game is in the background, and Harry Carey and Steve Stone are, you know, doing the game. And like, that's that's my childhood right there. So, and I got, I got it as a classic, you know, he's a legend, you know. It is awesome. All right, Jim. Well, thanks again for your time and uh, uh, good luck to your son in the future. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.
Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you.